I'd like to believe that, you know, our players are, you know, are getting the unofficial PhD in team. They're, they're getting a really an acute understanding of team. You know, they know what a good teammate looks like and, and the effect that they can have. They know what a bad teammate is unbearably, right? They, I mean, I mean, these young people are, they're past, you know, the 10,000 hours, 10 year moment. I mean, they're, they're becoming an expert in team. And especially if we, if, if we make that, that's what we're doing here <laughs> and it's going to help us win some rugby games. But at the end of the day, that's the thing that is going to be, you know, the takeaway. All right, welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery podcast. I'm Michael Gervais. And the idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who are switched on, people who are on the path of mastery, who have committed their life efforts to understand the nuances of their craft, and in return, understand the nuances of what it means to be human. We also want to explore the mental skills that they've used to build and refine their craft and their psychological framework as well. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bubs Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their Hydrate or Die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubsnaturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash findingmastery with the code findingmastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction (ED), hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out HIMSS. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash finding mastery. That's hymns, H-I-M-S dot com slash finding mastery 
for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Now, this conversation is with Jack Clark. And Jack is the iconic rugby coach of the University of California. Been around the game a long time. His team building abilities are considered legendary within university circles and throughout the corporate sector. Since becoming the head coach of the Golden Bears in 1984, Coach Clark has led the rugby program to 29 national collegiate championships. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, that that's not easy to do, right? Of course, that's not easy to do. But 29 national collegiate championships. And in 2000, Clark was chosen as the Cal's 10 most influential sport figures of the 20th century. Okay, so he's not only been around the game a long time, he's influenced the game a long time, he understands team, he understands culture, and he understands how to also share those and impart those wisdoms in the corporate world as well. And not only has he sustained a probable level of success for a long period of time, nearly three decades, but he's not sick of it at all. Like, he loves it. He's still in it. He's he's so in (laughs) that it's like it just jumps out. Uh, in this conversation. It's beautiful. It really is. And in Jack's words, what he says is, I wouldn't trade jobs with anyone. And I mean anyone. Isn't that cool? Like, you know, he's thinking about anyone in the world and he's he loves his job that much. So we get to feel um, from this conversation, we get to feel what it's like to really be in love with the challenge that comes with helping other people become great inside of the ecosystem of a university sport team. So just like with all conversations that I have with people, I just hope this conversation shines a light on his brilliance and everything from how he brings out the best in players and how he scales culture and how his players are getting their unofficial PhD in team. That's one of the insights that's really cool from Coach Clark. So with that, let's jump right into this conversation with Coach Jack Clark. Jack, how you doing? I'm well. <laughs> so I just, this is, we're starting over on the introduction because the last one I did, uh, I forgot to press record. Oh, yeah. You're a pro. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay. So we're here at University of California and we're at the field house, the rugby field house. Right. And this is a place that you've built. And as I'm looking around, there's tons of memorabilia. There's jerseys hanging, there's signs and pictures, and there's all types of um, important artifacts that you've built here or included in the building. So can you talk about how you shape this culture of, of your office here? Um, well, we've, we've been playing rugby since 1882 and, you know, this space is, you know, meant to represent the whole of that, of that history, you know, not, not just the most recent parts that maybe I've been involved uh, with. So, you know, you walk in here and you, you can find something from the very early days of, uh, of Cal rugby all the way to, to current and, uh, um, I, I think it's like that cheer song, you know, that, um, you know, place where everyone knows your name. That's what we want. We want those that have been in the program before to be able to return here and, you know, find something from their era, find something, maybe even a picture of themselves, um, to be remembered, you know, that, that, uh, you know, they, their, their names in the book, so to say. And 
this is one of the reasons I wanted to connect with you. So in advance, thank you for your time because I'm fascinated with rugby. It's one of our uh, sports that are extremely rugged. There's moments of hostility. There's real danger involved. Uh, the risk is high, um, but the connection to team is phenomenal. And as from a coach, it's one of the sports that you have to prepare people to think in a rugged environment and to respond and react without the coach coaching them. The, the players are responsible for figuring it out on their own. That That's one of the things I want to learn from you, as well as you've won nearly 90% of the games that you've coached. And is it 27 national titles? Um, I think so. I'm not, I'm not really sure. To be honest, I'm, I'm not really sure. We, we, lately, we play in two championships, so 15s and a 7. So it's become harder to kind of keep track of things. But. And you've been coaching for over 30 years here. Right. I, I began in 1982 as an assistant coach and uh, became the head coach in 1984. How did that work? Because there was a story that you were an assistant coach and then was it before the end of the year you became the head coach or was it in a year's time you became head coach you traded jobs with um, the head coach i convinced him to hang around a while is what i did i i i i, I kind of felt like i've been you know <laughs> thrown off the top of a building with all the parts to an airplane i mean i really i mean i i i knew i i i knew a lot about the game but i didn't feel I felt like an apprentice, to be honest. And uh, so the previous coach was named Ned Anderson. And I just asked him to hang around a while and, um, you know, and be my assistant or, in, if you will, head coach emeritus, you know, just to just to be on the scene. And it was very valuable for me that, that period of time. And and we also I would also look to bring in other coaches um, to that were, were more experienced than me at the time to to help. Um you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, uh, so, you know, there, there aren't, you know, we're not great about, um, developing coaches. Um, you know, we, we quite often give someone a job before they're ready for the job. And, uh, that's not, that's not helpful, uh, to the team and it's, it's ambitions or to the players. Um, it, it happens in, you know, what you hope is over time, you know, you, you catch up and you, you develop your own competencies. Okay. Because the things that I want to dive in, I want to understand your path, like how you've become to be a super successful coach. I do want to definitely understand how you develop coaches. And I know you've got a real particular model that you work from, um, not necessarily for developing coaches, but to get the best out of others. And so I want to walk through that, but I want to understand your framework and then dive a little bit deeper to understand the mental skills that you value as well. So if we could start at the beginning and take us as far back as you can want to go or remember, but can you remember a point in time in your childhood that was significant in shaping how you think or the man that you've become now? Well, I can remember that I, I always had a really keen interest in, in sports, in sport, I can remember being a young kid and wanting to know more about coaches and players. Um, you know, there wasn't an internet, obviously. There, there, um, there was no really even look behind the curtain. I can remember being influenced by George Plimpton, who, you know, wrote wrote books. He would embed himself with, um, you know, with a football team and. Uh, 
and as a writer and um and then and then share those experiences both um both uh via a, a movie and, and and by way of a book and i can remember being captivated by the look behind the curtain what what those players did while they were having a breakfast in the in the meal room what they did at, at practice at training um uh, I, I i can remember being so motivated to want to learn more and and uh and I began very early in my life to you know find my own you know self-worth almost through sport you know my own you know my self-confidence came from sport and uh it was the place in my life very early on that I I was most willing to kind of measure myself Okay. So you played all the traditional stick and ball sports, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like back to back to back seasons. Back to like, back. Yeah. Uh, one, one season would end and the next day, the other one began every once in a while, there was a little bit of overlap. And then how did you find rugby? I, you know, I had a, um, I had an, uh, an assistant football coach, um, uh, one time that played a little bit of rugby and I, and I started, you know, hearing about rugby, and but it was really when I came to the University of California, um, scholarship football player, and, and rugby had always been um, an important sport on our campus, and a lot of football players would go play rugby. I, uh, I'm still in, in in great contact with my head coach at the time. His name was Mike White, uh, and Mike, Mike had a very storied uh, football career, both at the collegiate level and also in the NFL, and. Uh, you know, Mike told me on my recruiting trip, hey, you'd make a good rugby player. And I always tease him because I thought, well, my God, I'm, I'm auditioning to be a football player here. What does that mean? You know, and uh, but it, <laughs> Am it, I about it, to get cut. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, and uh, but it, it meant that that he, he saw that I would be a good rugby player. I enjoyed basketball growing up and, you know, and enjoyed football, obviously. So rugby, if you will, is a bit of combination of those two sports in some ways. And uh um, you know, football season was over and, you know, somebody taps you on the back and says, come on out to play some rugby. And I didn't think twice. And, uh, you know, I was in love with the sport from day one. Okay. So you got to it late. Yeah. Pretty late. I mean, I, I would have been 19, yeah. 20. Yeah. Okay. And were the folks that you were competing with or competing against, did they play earlier or was that normal at that time to to get to the sport around college age. Yeah, I think that was more normal for the time. It's completely abnormal now. But it, it, I, I think that the great, you know, kind of renaissance of American college rugby happened in the 60s and 70s. And if you think about, you know, a bit of a counterculture time where, you know, maybe there were football players that were tired of having, you know, 12 coaches with whistles up their six telling them what to do and when to do it. And that rugby was 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 more of a free flowing sport with, you know, a lot more room for kind of individual authorship. And uh, so it was very attractive. So there was a lot of football players. If we just on the West Coast, you mean when when SC had their had some great, great football teams, of course, they they almost always have great teams. But, you know, during the late 60s, they were the best rugby team um, with all football players and Stanford during the Rose Bowl years, of the 70s, all football players and uh, and uh, and Cal as well, you know, the, the the kind of the best team on the coast many years, really with football players. So it was normal for us. Mike White, uh, w you know, was a was a graduate of Cal, and and he was also uh, football rugby. So 
you know, your coach might have played football, rugby. All the guys around you played rugby. It, it just seemed like the natural thing to do, to be a crossover athlete and go play the uh, rugby as a second sport. Is the idea that to be a rugby player that there's an intelligence required, is that is that an accurate statement? Um, I think to be a good rugby player, yes. You, you know, you've got to be able to make decisions in the moment with the ball in your hand. So, you know... There's a lot of sports where there's only a few guys on the team that have the ball in their hand. And so the decisions are, are more primary in, 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 um, in their scope. In rugby, you know, everyone's going to have the ball in their hand and you're going to have to decide to run or to pass. And if, if you pass, to whom and when? And, or if you're going to kick, uh, to where and when? And um, so there's a, there, there's a need to make decisions with the ball in your hand. And therefore, if you just, you know, you know, kind of unpack that, there's a, there's a requirement to know how to make a decision, to, to be able to look at events and boxcar those events together the same way a quarterback makes a read in football, and to be able to boxcar those events together so that you can make an informed decision, not just a quick decision. Okay, with that thought in mind, how does rugby prepare people for life after sport? So it, quarterbacking, to use mm -hmm. your analogy, helps the, if we pulled on that string, it would help people be able to read a situation, narrow their focus to see if a particular point of uh, attack works, right. widen their, uh, their focus again, go yeah. back to narrow, like yeah. to scan the world and continually uh, reiterate and refine choices of, uh, uh, um, or directions of action. So same for rugby. What, what are those uh, corollaries? Well, I, I think that decision piece would be would be part of it, but 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 rugby also has some other characteristics in the fact that you know there 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 aren't positional play. You don't play in on offense or defense. You play both, um, and and uh, there are, there aren't um, um, significant substitutions. So mo most times, if you play, you play the entire game. What what that really means is that everyone's got to make their own tackles. Um, everyone's got to do their share of the dirty work. That's a very interesting lesson um, that no one is above the hardest, most difficult, nastiest parts of the game. Uh, even if you're, you know, even if you're really a skill player and you're really there to to kind of direct traffic and pass the ball um, well and kick the ball well, the fact is you're going to have to do some of that dirty work as well. I think that's that's interesting. It, you know, there's a saying: all skills all players. And, um, I think there's some correlation to life there. You know, you don't, you know, you don't get to say at some point, um, I don't really do that. I, I don't necessarily have skills there. Um, I think your family and the community and the workplace doesn't accept that as an answer. You know, you, you really have to, you know, have a lash at all those things that are, that are kind of in your portfolio. And so I think rugby, you know, creates an atmosphere and a, um, uh, a, a learning scenario where, you know, you can go forward at, with all skills, all players. And then the idea you, you talked about family and I've, I've read that you don't see sport as family mm. and that that's a misguided, <laughs> uh, a misguided attempt to try to create bonding. And I, I'm going to nod my head and say, yeah, I completely agree. Cause it feels like it's a, it's a cheap way to tell people that they matter mm. where in family there's, it's, supposed to be unconditional. That's right. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's not always the case, but, um, can you talk about that piece of team bonding, um, and cohesion? Yeah. And relationships. I, 
I mean, I don't want to overstate it because, because I do believe that if you care about one another, that's pretty important. Um, you know, I, I think if, if, you know, we, we genuinely care about one another, it's going to help the team perform. It's, it's going to, you know, really contribute to the culture of the team immeasurably. Um, so I, I think it's the right thing to do to have empathy for each other and be kind to each other and uh, care about one another. I, I, it's, 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 it might just be semantics, but I, I just, you know, I roll my eyes sometimes at the notion that, you know, we describe ourselves so frequently as a family when family is, as you point out, Mike, it, it, it's, it's unconditional where high performance teams are highly, highly conditional. Um, you know, there's a, there's a requirement to contribute to the middle, to do your job, um, to perform, um, to, to put your guts into it. I mean, I, you, you can't really research, um, a high performance organization of, of any type where you don't, you don't come to that, um, conclusion that there's a lot of conditions here and it's not right for everyone, but those conditions help this, help this organization operate and succeed. And, and I think that that's how high performance teams are. I, I, I think they're highly conditional. Um, and I, that doesn't mean they don't care about one another. It just means that it's not, it's not like you've got to accept me for who I am. Um, and if that means, you know, I'm, I'm not, you can't tr trust me or if I'm not, um, punctual, or if I break rules, or if I if I don't give full effort, you've got to accept that. That's not true. You don't accept that in high performance athletics. Meaning that people get fired. People get fired. People get cut. People separate from the team. Um, coaches and players, right? It's it's, it's it, there's an expectation in a high performance team that 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 everyone is putting everything they have into it. Okay. So who early on, go back to the early years for you, who were the people or what were the events that helped shaped you? Well, I, I mean, to, to our, you know, to the earlier thread, I, I, I mean, it was my coaches. Um, I can, you know, I, I think I've lived a pretty blessed life. I, I do hear and I do see coaches that, boy, I, I'm glad I, I'm not playing for that coach or, I hear stories about coaches um, that that aren't flattering, but my experiences could not be any further from that. I mean, I've 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 literally had the most wonderful coaches from being a you know a boy uh, through through my last coaches in athletics. Every one of them has been really good, and 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 somebody that I really admired and. Um, I would emulate them and, and I, you know, I, I found them to be, you know, it's not a very contemporary word, but cool. I found them to be, you know, these, these, um, these individuals that I wanted to emulate. All right. So if we, if you could take a minute to try to deconstruct what those threads were. So you, they were cool. You wanted to emulate them. Yeah. They brought the best out of you. Yep. They, they taught you or shaped you. Um, your worldview. Mm -hmm. What were some of those threads that they held in common? I think trying to get to know you as the individual, um, you know, would 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 be one of those. A willingness to coach you, a willingness to 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 tell you, you know, when your best could be better, um, when your 
underachieving. Um, I, I, I never had a really tough time with, with coaching. Um, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, it, it always seemed to me personally, that, that was, that was part of the process. And if you didn't get it, you were getting cheated. So I, I was happy to, I was happy to, um, to be coached, uh, even if that meant, um, you know, it was rough sometimes, right? I mean, I, you know, I played team sports, so um, a lot of times, you know, you you know, you don't get a quiet word. You get a word across the court, across the field, <laughs> across another, a group of individuals. That's how it works. And so you you know, you can't be timid to that coaching. And I never was. So I, you know, they took a personal interest in me. They wanted to coach me. Um, and, and I think they understood my strengths. And I think that that's been a real, you know, kind of important part of my coaching, you know, and, 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 and probably in the last 20, 20 years is, 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 has been to do a better job of, of emulating that from, from my coaches. And that's, you know, to pay attention to people's strengths and to build a, you know, build, build a plan around what they do really well. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Apollo Neuro. I am really excited about what Apollo Neuro is building. If you haven't had the chance yet, I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations, they call them Apollo vibes, that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery and use the code findingmastery at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O, L-L-O, Apollo, Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, ApolloNeuro.com slash Finding Mastery, or use the code Finding Mastery at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured. If there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, Quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula it just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist. And it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. 
they recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. So I've also read that you you spent a lot of time thinking about and sharing people's strengths. It sounds like, right? So is this, a, can you, can you pull on that? I want to ask you to pull on yep. each one of these a little bit sure, further because sure. the, the, the under, okay. The science and the art of coaching it for me is really best practices and the relationships that pull the best out of people. Mm-hmm. And for, so you've got three things that you just touched on and I know you've got a, a deeper model that you work from, but the idea of getting to know somebody mm-hmm. to be able to coach them mm-hmm. and then to find and know their, or, yeah, find and amplify their strengths are three tenets that seem like, mm-hmm. um, it's been part of the staple for you. So can we work, work in reverse order? How do you, how do you technically or tactically, how do you pull out the best in people? Well, I, I think there's, there's. You know, there's probably various, you know, various methods. I, I'm more interested, to be honest, about trying to learn over time. And, and I don't think it's something that you, you you know during the recruiting process. And sometimes it might take a couple of years. But to really know, you know, the mentality of an individual, their, 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 their athletic makeup, their athletic strengths, and, and to be able to build an approach to playing the game based on their strengths. You know that's that's pretty powerful. I mean, every conversation I've ever had with a superior, uh, typically, you know, I'm on the other side of the desk, and people are telling me, you know, what are the things that I I need to do better? And uh, you know, I, I've never wanted to be that person necessarily. Um, I mean, the fact is, there's some requirements in any sport, and you have to do the requirements well. There's basic skill that you have to be able to execute. But beyond that, I think building the team it's about building building an approach to playing a technical approach based on what the, the players can do anytime anywhere and therefore you know it, once you get down to the individual level it's the same thing it's, it's build a blueprint to play in the game based on what they do well and and in some point sometimes you, you've got a you know, you've got to be able to um, really understand what somebody does well, maybe even better than they do. Um, and, and the process is, is you sit across from one another and you have notebooks out, you know, no phones, no laptops, just notebooks and a writing instrument. You know, I have a friend that says, you, you, you know, you code the brain writing longhand. And, uh, and I, I think you just make lists, you know, what are the things that you're, you're doing well? And, and a player might say, well, I'm, you know, my ball handling skills are good. And, and, and if you, you agree, you say, yeah, they're good. They're good off either hand. Your left hand passes is remarkably good. Your right hand passes very accurate. You weight the ball very, I mean, you, you need to be able to do more than just, you know, create a line item of handling. You know, you need to be able to touch it, taste it, smell it, be able to really make that skill come alive. So where hopefully at the end of that process, that modeling session, if you will, where you really sit down and you model an approach to playing based on what a player does well, you 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 come away with um, 
with something that can be leveraged, um, you know, a skill set that um, they know they have, they know they can do it anywhere, anytime. They have confidence in that skill set. And now it's time to leverage that for the good of myself and my team. Okay. So I'm imagining that you sit down across from an athlete yep. and you've done the lonely work first to be able to think about what makes them special. And then what I'm just hearing now, it sounds like tactically you ask them, Hey, what are you good at? Yeah. And then, so then you hear them first. Yep. Is that how you do it? Yep. And then they say, yeah, I got, I've got good handling skills. Yeah. And then you, because of your frames of reference and your lonely work that how you thought about that person, you take it deeper. Yes. And then you work to get the fabric of it in such a, so clear that both of you can nod your heads to say, I understand the fabric of what we're talking about. So it's not conceptual. That's right. Okay. And then you build a strategy around that person to position them in in yeah, to push position them for success. That's right. For okay. their personal success. Personal success. Is that when you say personal, is that different than um, sport success or personal inside of sport? Um, it, it, it means that you could have two players playing the exact same position and it's really a coin flip, which one of them is better. Um, but they have very different skills and, and it's really, let's say it's tackling and, and let's say one of those players has great range and they really get around the field and they make a lot of tackles. And maybe the, the, the player that they're competing with doesn't have the same range, but their tackles are more forceful. Their tackles have a, a higher quality to them and the, and the fact that they might change the game. So maybe half the tackles, but those tackles are so forceful that they create turnovers potentially. I don't know which one of these players is the best, but, but I want them to both play to their strengths. I want them to know what their strengths are and I, and I want them to play to them. I don't want, I don't want the player that is, has a lot of range to their game to try to be the other person. I want them to be themselves. So, so I think the blueprint is personal to them. And do you, when you coach people, do you try to shore up their weaknesses or how much time do you spend on that? If their if their asset is, um, range of tackling, is that a proper sure, way to say sure. it? And then, uh, ball handling skills, However, their footwork is a, a bit of a mess yeah. and um, decision-making yeah. is challenged. Like how, where, how do you, how do you, yeah. It, it's, 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 um, it's fluid, but 70, 30 or so, right. I'm, I'm always trying to keep, keep some kind of a ratio in the back of my head that, you know, what I don't want to do is build this long list of all the things you can't do. Now there might be a couple things on that list that you're not going to get on the field until you do these things. So we're not going to be able to ignore them. We're going to need a lot of honesty in this kind of audit modeling session. Uh, it's going to be important that we can be direct. And uh, But what we're not going to do is we're not going to talk about the ninth most important thing you're not doing well. That's we're not we're never going to go there. And, and, and I do think that people should improve over time. I mean, I, you know, I shouldn't draw a paycheck unless I can develop athletes. So we, we should have a training curriculum, which is uh, going to acquire new skills. And over time, we should get better. We should move deficiencies, you know, into the asset column over time. Well, I just what I don't want to do is always be chasing deficiencies and, and not putting enough time into strengths and how do we leverage strengths? You know, what I found is with um, the higher level the sport or the more intense the person is to achieve or experience high level sport is that if they're paying attention to their deficits and the coach is amplifying their deficits 
and it's no, it, it's not like they purposely want to create the scenario I'm going to create, but it's easy to find the things that are not working well. <laughs> you know, they scream yeah. at you, right? And when a coach says, "Hey, listen, I really want us to work on A, B, and C," and the majority of those conversations are about getting better at A, B, and C, that the athlete walks away saying, "Yeah, I, man, I'm not really that good at A, B, and C." Then when it's time to compete, that's the programming. I'm not sure if I have what it takes because the last 200 days of training, I haven't had what it took. Right. And so that sets up this model. I don't, you're nodding your head like, yeah, yeah. Th like that makes sense. I, to I'm not in my head. Like you should come talk to my team. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm no. from the McAfee clan. Right. And, and I have to force myself to be positive sometimes. Right. It doesn't come natural to me to, to not be the guy pointing out mistakes. Um, and I think I probably spent a fair bit of my career being only that person on the way to winning championships, mind you. Um, so I completely agree with you. And, um, you know, I can, I can wear out my welcome pointing out all the things we can do to get better sometimes. And I, I've got to, um, I've got to find some balance in my coaching. I need to have you come in and, and, and talk about that confidence. It, it's really hard. It's really hard to do to find what's good. Yeah. And especially when um, the adult mind, you know, the, the, the cognitive brain of ours that we're straddled with is always scanning the world to find what's wrong and broken and dangerous and hostile. Mm -hmm. That's how we survived. To override that, to find what's good, what could be good, what's amazing, what's an opportunity, right. it does take a lot of discipline to do. And, and so that, that's the word discipline. Yeah, right. it does. Yeah. And so that's why we um, spend a lot of time thinking about we, it's like the, the folks I work with, Coach Carroll from the Seattle Seahawks and the team of folks that we work with about how to program and train optimism. Mm -hmm. because that requires us to find what could be amazing so that when we're in the trenches and it's not working, we've got that mental discipline to continue to find what could work in our advantage, right. as opposed to saying, there it is again. See, we're not, we're down by 42 points. How are we going to get out of this hole? Right. We, we should just call it in now. Right. Take my cleats off now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the, do you have a way that you help people know who they are? That was one of your first thoughts about how to be a great coach? Well, I mean, my, my point I was trying to make is it takes a while to, to really understand it. I think, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put people in boxes. I don't want to hurry up and, um, and, and suggest a person is something that they're really not. And I, and I believe a lot in like a lot of, if you, if you, if you looked at our glossary, you know, a lot of the definitions of things would, would say the ability to, um, I, I don't think you're born with a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I appreciate that it's probably true. And as a scientist, you're probably going to tell me you are born, with, but I got to believe in my job that, that, you know, I can influence people to, you know, to be their best self. And, and I think to do that, you know, I have to be optimistic that I can do it, that we together, we can create, um, we can create a, a culture around the team and some standards around the team that will, that will help people get from where they are to where they want to be. And, uh, and not, and not just, okay, here's who I am today. Um, that I don't, I don't, we don't have anybody on our team that's not going to be better in a year from now. And, and a completely different player in two or three years from now. So how do you create that tension between that healthy tension between this is who I want you to become. And I'm, I'm sure you get them to co-sign it. Like, you know, Hey, I think this is possible for you. Mm -hmm. 
and the, the person that they are today. How do you create that healthy tension between the two? You know, I think a lot of it is, is, um, is within the program, within the culture of the program. Um, we're always chasing something. We're chasing this level of play that we can rightly aspire to, but it's going to be very difficult and nothing about that bothers us. I, I think it's hard on the, on the new, newest players that enter the team. Um, but we can win a game and we can win a game pretty substantially. And we're in the meeting room the next morning and, uh, and it's my favorite session of the entire week. And uh, I get to be at the board and the question is, okay, guys, what do we do well? And um, guys are going to be pretty, pretty stingy about putting up their hand, you know, but eventually they understand the process. We're eventually going to have to say we kicked the ball pretty well. And then somebody else might say, well, I don't know. I don't know that we, I think we kicked the ball pretty well until it really mattered and we didn't kick the ball well. And I want that, I want that collaborative discussion. I, I want I want the team to decide, does this go up on the wall or does it not, that we did something well? And at the conclusion of that, I'm going to say, okay, what do we got to work on? And the hands are going to fly up. The hands are going to fly up. And I'm almost going to have to take another approach now, which is, well, I don't know that that belongs up there. I think we did it pretty well. Let's not, let's not go too far with that. But the culture of the team is, is going to be to identify the things that we can do well and they're pretty good at, at, at talking about the things that we are doing well. What are, what are our strengths? What are we demonstrating that we can do well? But I love that process. I, I love that over time, they, especially the upperclassmen, they're highly engaged in this process, highly engaged. And the honesty in that room is phenomenal. If you walked in the room, you wouldn't know whether we won by 40 or lost by 40, to be honest. What you'd have is a bunch of people talking about performance and in what areas can our performance, our performance improve and in what areas can, you know, listen, three, three weeks in a row, this has been up here as something we've done well. How do we leverage this in our next game? I mean, we're obviously good at this. And then maybe, hey, you know, three weeks in a row, we've talked about this is something we can do better. You know, what do we have to do with training by way of volume and by way of exercises to you know, to put this behind us, to show some improvement in this area. Now, I, I want them to be involved at that level. Uh, I'm not going to stop every practice and ask every player what they think of every situation. I know there's some coaches doing that, but we're going to be collaborative at the right time. We're going to, you know, they're, they're going to know. I mean, you know, when that meeting's over on Sunday morning from a Saturday game, you know, come the new week, they almost know what's going to happen in training because we, we sit and we, we made that prescription together in that room. Okay. So I'm blown away right now because I thought that seriously, I thought that I created a process, a post-practice process and a post-game process that, that I made up in some way. And I know that anything I make up is influenced by so many, you know, great thinkers and science and doers that it's never really unique, um, to me, or I think that that's true for most innovations, but after practice, for years, I've been asking athletes to write down, and now they text it to themselves and sometimes me, what went well, question one, question two, what do you want to work on? I, so I didn't make that up apparently. Yeah. Apparently, like you've been doing this for a long time. Um, I've been doing it for a while. Um, where, did, where did that come from for you? You know, I, I'm, 
I mean, everything I've learned, I almost learned from our players. I mean, it's been an unbelievable laboratory over the years. You know, it used to be that, you know, you'd get players one-on-one and, and you hear what they had to say, and it, and, and it really would influence me. I mean, their perspectives were were, were so pointed and so accurate in, in, in many cases um, that we just I just start doing it together as a group. And now there's some people, to be honest, I mean, I'm keeping it real here. There's some people in the room going, oh, my God. I mean, I don't even know what they're talking about, really. You know, I mean, it, it's just too much for some people to to be able to have that really, you know, this is sport is study is what this is. This isn't like I, I play a, I play a sport and the game's over and, hey, I'll, I'm going to give it a lash next week uh, as well. No, this is, this is wanting to know. This is being curious. This is really creating that, that performance audit where you want to know. You want to know what you're doing well and, and how you can continue to do it well and, and use it better in more situations and what are the things you got to work on. And uh, again, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, my favorite, it's my favorite session of the week, bar none. And, um, and I, I get to add my bits into that, which, which I appreciate. Um, sometimes if, if, it's, if I think that we've understated something that has to be stated strong, more strongly, I, I do it. If, if I if I think that you know we're off on the wrong track because somebody put up their hand and you know took us down the wrong track, I, I'm I, I'm gonna move on to the next guy and you know I'm it's important that, that there's a body of work in this session. It's not it, it, is it important that everyone is able to have a say? Yes, it is. Um, but it's also important that we come to some real conclusions that can really help the team. I mean, this is week to week to week. And, you know, I, I, I want to see the team improve. I mean, if we're not doing that, I mean, how, how do you justify the hours that you put into this? How do you justify, you know, being a coach? Um, how do you justify, you know, the leadership within the ranks of the team if we're not getting better? It's, it's really one of our, you know, constant performance improvement is one of our values. I mean, we say it as a value. Um, I mean, if we're not going to get better at this, you know, what are we doing? Mm. What I love about those two questions as well is that it forces people to think in positive frames. Yeah. What, what did I do well is building the base to your point, your body of work of what you have the right to be confident about. And then the second question, what, are, what do I want to get better at? It stitches right back to one of your core values. And then so you've, I think you've got five core values. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I wrote them down. Yeah. Let's see if, if there's five. How'd you um, do? <laughs> let's see. Selfish, selflessness. Yeah. Sure. That's a value. Yeah. Constant performance and improvement. Right. M- merit. Merit. What does that mean? Merit is about having a value around what people are doing as opposed to seniority. I mean, I have a lot of colleagues that decide which of their seniors are going to be their leaders. And I think, well, wait a minute, <laughs> shouldn't we just be deciding which, which people are the best at being leaders that are going to be our key leaders, maybe our captains of the team? It, it seems to me that the currency that's exchanged in high performance teams is what are you doing right now? It's not, what did you do last year? Or what did you do three weeks ago? Um, and, and, uh, and I, I think that's important. I mean, I think that seniority and having experiences is important, but if you don't, you know, monetize those in the here and now they're worthless in the same way with potential. I mean, I think potential is good. I mean, it's good to have potential. 
Um, if someone said you had no potential, that can't be positive. Um, but you know, you can't dine out on potential potential for very long. I mean, at some point you've got to perform. So it just seems to me that if you value merit, um, and that's, if you want your voice to resonate on our team, it's because you're doing something right now by way of your performance. And, and I think it's strong. I mean, it's strong to think that we believe in this meritocracies and it's not about, you know, for example, not about what color your skin is. It's not, you know, who you pray to and who your daddy was, right? I mean, it's not, it's about what are you getting done on our team? And so I think that meritocracies is, um, is an important belief for us. Mm. And then you've got toughness and leadership as yeah. your, your final two. Yeah, yeah. And then for the toughness piece, you, I've heard you define it. It's the ability to focus on the next most important thing. Yeah. The mental toughness part. The mental right. toughness part. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a point of just toughness too. I mean, you know, we, we play a game of, uh, you know, physical wills. There's a battle of physical wills. There's, there's, there's a time for overwhelming force. Um, you know, it happens in business. It happens in sport. I mean, there's a time for that. And, uh, you know, we're not shying away from that, but I think the, the, the toughness that, you know, we measure a lot that we acknowledge a lot and we celebrate a bit is, is mental toughness when somebody really exhibits mental toughness. And if you think about it, I mean, you only have to access mental toughness if things are really going bad, right? So things are pear shaped and it's all going bad. And then somebody for some reason, you know, doesn't worry about what just happened. Doesn't worry about what it's going to mean going forward. Just finds a way to, you know, focus on the next most important thing and, and gets plugged in and gets it done. And, um, I just think it's a really, uh, you know, it's an attractive ability and we call it an ability. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm shying away from, you know, you're born with it. Uh, I, I do think there's, there's people that are predisposed to being mentally tough. There's other people that have more of a journey in that regard, but I'm believing we can all get there. And how do you help people in the ability? What do you do to obviously the only way to demonstrate mental toughness is to go through something shitty, like to go through and it, you, you can't demonstrate mental toughness as everything is good to your right. point earlier. So how do you develop some of the mental skills that would precede people to be able to focus on the most important thing now when it's easier to focus on something that's not yeah. going well? You know, to be fair, we're probably we're probably underserving the players on the mental skills part. I mean, you know you know, we need you. <laughs> we need somebody like you, if not you to, yeah. to help us in that regard. But what you can do is you can, you can say you believe in it every day. And, you know, there's an old term in coaching called fence posting. Uh, I've never really actually built a fence to be honest, but apparently you dig a hole and you walk a few feet and dig another hole and you walk and you repeat that. So, um, the point is you fence post it. You talk about it all the time. Um, you make clear that we believe in it and we value it and you, you find a way to measure it. You, 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 anytime someone does that thing, um, you, you find a way to, um, to celebrate it, um, to make them feel special about it. And, and that, that goes a long way in that, in that room, in that locker room, the meeting room and, and the field to say, okay, that's where the love is. <laughs> you, when you do something mentally tough, people recognize it around here. Now there, there must be, there must be a lot of steps to individually help players get there. I'm not sure we probably do all that as well as we could. So just the idea of 
rewarding or reinforcing behaviors that you want to see more often is a, is a radical deal. Like, <laughs> so you just having the target, like when you have in your mind, I'm assuming what toughness looks like when someone's displaying it. Right. And then if you share that with your coaches and your athletes, then they reward it just by saying, by you saying, or them saying that's yeah. toughness. So that's one part of it. And in, inside of, uh, adventure-based sports and extreme sports. And I put quotes on extreme because not all sports that are non-stick and ball are extreme, but skateboarders do something phenomenal in that same vein is that they, like you, recognize the importance of going for it, of being dirty and gritty and doing the ugly things to be able to one day do the shiny trick that everyone gets to see you do, mm -hmm. the inverted 360 or 780 or whatever it might be at this mm -hmm. point, 720, sorry. And so what they do though, is when they see somebody go for a trick, a skill, and they fall and they're bleeding and, and there's blood oozing from them, all the other skateboarders that are around will flip open their flip over their skateboards and tap them on the side of the yeah. ramp or the curb. Cool. And they're basically making a clapping sound saying, we see you going for it. We mm -hmm. see you being gritty. We see you being, you know, getting bloody literally. And that begins to shape the culture of that group of skateboarders. It sounds like you're doing the same. Yeah, I, I love that analogy. Though. Isn't that really good? Yeah, that's yeah. very good. And then the, the other things that, that's, that, that's a clickety clack you'd want to hear right there. That's exactly because you're getting rewarded yeah. for yeah. not not pulling off the skill. But when somebody pulls off a skill, the, the, the whole like little or the not organization, the whole group of people mm -hmm. like throw up their hands and they're screaming, they're hooting. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of fun when you nail it. Yeah. But when you're going for it and yeah. you're really trying and you're bleeding, you get a lot of love for that. That's cool. Yeah. So then the, just quickly, the two things that precede um, mental toughness certainly are optimism. And then the other is resiliency, mm -hmm. which is to be able to be flexible and fluid in challenging times. And then inside of resiliency, there's three C's. This is according to research. And so you want to help people love challenge. Mm -hmm. And so if you can shape just the messaging that we love challenge. That's where we define who we are and figure out who we are. Mm -hmm. That challenge really, um, it becomes an asset during difficult times. Mm -hmm. The other is to control on things that are in your control. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's pretty simple to shape. Mm -hmm. You can, we can teach that. Mm -hmm. So it's a commitment. Oh, and then the last is commitment. And the commitment piece is stay the course. Mm -hmm. And there's a sailor phrase, not a, not a sailor, but a maritime phrase that um, I've come to love, which is hold fast and stay true. Yeah. Have you heard that before? No, I haven't. So hold fast is like grab something that you trust. Yeah. It's wood usually on a ship and then stay true to the mission. Mm. And so the sailors will scream that back up to the captain during turbulent seas saying, hold fast and stay true. Ah, not a nice little, that's, that's really good. Culture. Yeah. Okay. Finding mastery is brought to you by AG one. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG one. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. I, it's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. And so what I do is I just fill up my shaker, add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up, and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or you know I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the 
nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a, there's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Okay, so um, I want to go back to you. And I want to I want to shape in my mind how you explain events. And so this is getting into psychological framework. Like how do you make sense of things that happen in your life? Mm-hmm. And so let's say that something bad happens. And I put quotes around bad because we don't necessarily know if things are good or bad when they're happening. Um, but I'd love for you to shape if you had a history of winning, no strike that you have a tremendous history of winning. If you could go back to the point in time where you had a nice little streak going Mm -hmm. and then the first loss, Mm -hmm. how did you explain that event to yourself and to the men in your program? Mm I can remember being immensely worried for them. My concern for the program would have been that they would lose faith in the process, that, you know, they'd been giving everything they had. They'd been giving it to the team. They really could not have given more. And here it is. They came up short. And um, I've always thought the best part of winning just on the other side of that coin is that, you know, the players have walked away with, with a, 
you know, with the knowledge that, you know, what they, how they achieve that victory is, is the, you know, that's transferable to other parts of their life later on, that we're actually doing something that is valuable. We're not just chasing a shiny goblet for the showcase, which, you know, isn't all that, you know, motivating to me personally. So I, I think during those moments, worried about them, um, want to make sure that they know that how appreciated they are and that this is just part of it. You know, try to draw some perspective and that this is this is part of it. And, you know, we, we're, we're very respectful about the teams we play. Um, it's just part of our DNA that we would we would we we would know our, our opponents really well and we would know what they do really well. And then if you want to take something away from an opponent, you've got to know it and you've got to know how good they are at it and how big the challenge is going to be to make them do something else. And uh, so that process kind of creates this great respect for the opposition. So that helps in this endeavor as well. I mean, you know, the other team's good sometimes too. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, this is part of it. You know, you're not supposed to win every time. Um, now, the times that I've been personally disappointed is, is, believe it or not, even when we've won, when we haven't played well, you know, I have to force myself to, you know, to be happy for them because they deserve it. They won. They're at the top of the podium. They've won the championship. Mission accomplished in some ways. And I've got to, I've got to almost fake it because I'm so disappointed that we actually didn't play our best rugby in the last game. Um, that somehow we came up short of that. And uh, I don't find it to be real satisfying. So, did I answer the question? Yeah. I, I think that the way you're – what I'm learning is that you don't value the reward as much as you do – the outcome as much as you do the process. And I don't mean that you value practice more than the game. I mean mm. the expression of becoming sounds like it's at the center of what you're looking for. Can, can we express or can we capture who we are at our potential? And when people, when your people, your team falls just short of that, even though they get the win, it's more troubling for you yeah. than the actual loss itself. Yeah. Now, win. now you can do that and you can actually lose and that would be a far worse feeling. Is that a worse feeling? No, yeah. no doubt. I yeah. mean, if you fall short and I mean, that's happened, you know, where, you, you know, for whatever reason, you just, you just don't get off the bus and you lose a game you shouldn't have lost. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough feeling as well. But it, it, there's no like winning solves everything for me. It doesn't. Um, it, what feels really good, and I've had this feeling, and, and it's I'm, 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 I've been chasing it my whole coaching career. And you know, you you win that big game, you win a championship, and you know, you know, the, the rugby field's pretty wide. You know, it's it's um, quite a bit wider than a football field. And you, you know, you really can't see the players all the time that well. You can't see their faces. And I'm, I'm, I'm so moved when after that big game, when they've just given everything, when the, the team has just fought for every inch, every possession, and I don't know how they just keep getting up and doing it again and doing it again. And, you know, the, you know, you, the final whistle, there's a bit of jumping around because you won and all that stuff. But when I really get close to the players and I see their faces, you know, I see these, these hollowed out faces. I mean, you know, they look like they've just run a marathon or a, look like they're triathletes or something. I mean, they're, they're gaunt. And, um, 
you know, and, and it's a nice, it's a nice day or a nice night and they, they're cold all right away or, and they cry easy because they have, they know it's not cool to cry. <laughs> they're not trying to, they just don't have any defenses left. They got nothing left to, to kind of hold out, you know, any pretense of being cool. It's just, and I, I see him in that state and I think, oh my God, you know, how, how great is this, man? This is that's the feeling I've been chasing when we do everything we could and it comes out, we come out on top and, um, but we did it right. And it's, and it's hard work and fair play and we won. I mean, that's, that's the feeling. What is that feeling? Cause the, the follow on question I was going to ask you is like of all of your investment mm. in helping other men become like, what are you searching for was the question. And is it that, is it, are you searching for the moment when they've given everything and you can celebrate that together independent of win and loss, or is it only when there's win and do I have the conditions, right? I think it's special when, when you win, there's no doubt about it. It would be disingenuous to say it any other way. It is more special when you win, when they put in that effort and, and, and that to me at that moment is a validation to what we're doing. It, it, um, the validation comes in a lot of forms, um, you know, but that's one of them, you know, that, you know, they see it. They, I had a player tell me one time, you know, kind of after the banquet, he pulled me aside and said, you know, playing rugby at Cal was the, was the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, and he paused and I looked at him and he said, that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And I went, man, <laughs> I was kind of going for that, you know, and it just felt so good, you know? And, uh, so there, there's a certain validation in that moment, but listen, the validation can happen 20 years later at a reunion, you know, where, you know, the players go on to this, you know, further academic scholarship and a lot of professional success. And, you know, they come back and say that, you know, I learned a lot, <laughs> Um, and I'm using it today, you know, in my family, in my community, in my workplace, that, that there's some validation there as well. I mean, maybe, maybe the most word. important validation. It's an interesting word validation. Is it, is it validation for you that your efforts have mattered? Is it validation that the commitment that we've done together has been worthwhile? What, what does the validation piece I, come I, from for you? I think both of those, right? I, I mean, um, I mean, this is you know, big, deep stuff in some ways, but I mean, I think sport does a poor job of explaining its value. You know, I, I, I hear, I hear my colleagues talk about, you know, the value of being an athlete or a student athlete is, is around hard work and it's, um, um, it's around, you know, commitment, but I mean, at a world-class institution like this, I mean, you can find students in the library at midnight, <laughs> you know, and uh, you want to talk about commitment and hard work. I don't know that that's proprietary to sport. I don't believe that. Um, I think the thing that is really proprietary to sport is team. And uh, I, I have this belief, right, that we're not one bright person away from solving the big issues. You know, we're, you know, we're not going to not disease, not the environment, uh, uh, not education, not, I mean, just list the big problems that we're going to have to solve going forward. And, um, it's going to be groups of people that solve those things. Um, people 
that can stand shoulder to shoulder, you know, point their nose in the same direction and work together, um, passionately work together. And, and I think that's what we're doing here. Right. And, um, that feels valuable. It, it feels, it feels, you know, I'm, I'm happy to go toe to toe with any professor on this campus. Um, and I, I, I don't diminish any of that, but I, it's not taught anywhere else on this campus. You know, might there be some, might there be some students that work on a project together for, for a short period of time? Yes. You know, is there an ROTC program? Sure there is. And, um, but I'd like to believe that, you know, our players are, you know, are getting the unofficial PhD in team. They're, they're getting a really an acute understanding of team. You know, they know what a good teammate looks like and, and the effect that they can have. They know what a bad teammate is unbearably, right? They, I mean, I mean, these young people are, they're past, you know, the 10,000 hours, 10 year moment. I mean, they're, they're becoming an expert in team. And especially if we, if, if we make that, that's what we're doing here <laughs> and it's going to help us win some rugby games. But at the end of the day, that's the thing that is going to be, you know, the takeaway. God, I love that. That's really clean. I've always thought that sport was a way to learn more about who we are and what you just added to that is the uniqueness of all sport. There's no such thing for in me as uh, for me as individual sports because it, it's always a team. There's never somebody that just steps out and does it on their own. It might sure. be, they might be the only person on the, the court or whatever yeah. it might be, but it's always a team setting. That's a really great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've been spending most of your life in sport or coaching sport and currently uh, for a while now at one of the world-class institutions, I think you said 30 years or 30 some years coaching here at Berkeley. What is the dark side of pursuing what you've been pursuing? What have been some of the costs or challenges for you? No, it's been a privilege, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't even think that way. I mean, I, if you can be a good head coach and, and really work in all the different buckets. I mean, be able to work operationally. And that means, you know, budgets to administration, to communication, to all that. If you can, if you can go into the sports science bucket and customize what you want to bring from that bucket to your team, if you can build teams culturally, if you can be a subject matter expert in your sport to strategically and tactically, I mean, if you can work across those, 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 those various areas of work, then you could probably make a lot of money in the real world. Right. And you don't, that doesn't happen in, in, in rugby. Right. I mean, it, it happens in a few of our sports in America, but not in all of our sports. Um, so in some ways I represent the majority of sports, uh, sport coaches and the fact that, you know, um, you do this because, um, it's fun. Um, it's, uh, you don't feel like you're working, it, it feels um, meaningful and significant. Um, I, I, I had a business career for a while and I was really good at it. And, but I don't think it ever felt significant. Um, the, the part that felt significant is if you had somebody working for you that all of a sudden was a bit of a rainmaker in their own home and they could take care of their kids better and they could buy a bigger house and, and they became a hero in their own family. That felt pretty good the idea of chasing deals and making money that, that didn't feel significant ever. 
Um, and every day that I coach feels significant. So I don't know. I mean, there's challenges, right? There's, um, there's the challenges with inside the pursuit. There's good teams. Uh, there's a lot of human exchanges that can be challenging. Um, the game itself can be, you know, the, the luck of the bounce of the ball sometimes. But those challenges are, are, are welcomed. There's some challenges outside of that with administrations. And, you know, there's some things outside of your control that you can't ever change. So, you know, I just don't worry about them. But it's been a privilege. Mm. I, w- I mean, like, I, I really wouldn't trade jobs with anyone. I mean, anyone. But I mean, you got a pretty good gig. I, I, well, I'll no, have to my, rethink my, that. No, no, my, my, mine's good for <laughs> different reasons and and some of the same reasons. But to be in the amphitheater for as long as you have to go through the struggles and still come through um, with the perspective that it's the greatest way to live your life sounds like you have great value in the way that you spend your time. Yeah, it feels like it. So if I, if I dig just a little bit deeper on the other side of that, which is, can you think of, or what story comes to mind when you think about the single most difficult experience in your coaching career? And it could be, Um, it could be your personal life for sure, but the the single most, whatever naturally comes up. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, it's probably a blessing at this moment in time, but it wasn't at the time. Uh, You know, I was still playing, at this point in time, I probably, the arc of my life would have been, I would have gone overseas and continued playing rugby, but I was the victim of a violent crime. I, I was, you know, kind of wrong place, wrong time. And I, I, I had a bad day at the office. They say, I, I, you know, I was shot five times with a, with a, a high powered handgun. And, um, you know, I had to fight for my life and I had to fight for my leg at one point, And, uh, I was no longer, I was no longer going to be an athlete and that, you know, overnight, that's a, that's a pretty hard reality. I had played earlier that year in a world 15. I I mean, and you know, one of the, you know, one of the players around the, the the world had been recognized as being a good player. And, uh, you know, so in a period of months, it was over it was one of those periods in your life where, you you know, the the fundamental decision is, are you going to be a victim or are you not? That's how I looked at it. And, uh, you know, I don't think I was a victim. I think I, I, you know, I think I carried on, you know, I, I think I, you know, there were some, there were some challenges. You're in the hospital a long time and, um, you know, you're not the same, um, physically, but, um, you know, I kept going, you know, and I, um, I, I, you know, I'm thankful that I had these experiences early in my life where these people I looked up to were coaches. So to me, this, this became, this became an automatic that I was going to turn my energies to coaching. And I, um, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't look back. Now I, I have to admit, I kept my I kept my options open because I, you know, I went to business as well and I would come and I would coach in the afternoons at Cal. So I was the part-time head rugby coach and I, I had a career as an investment banker and, uh, I, and I did that for 10 years and then I made this massive leap. I, I just decided one day that I was going to resign my, my interest in, in the business world and I was going to go coach full-time and, uh, you know, I was going to live on savings until I figured it out. And, uh, it was, it was a real, it was a real leap of faith. For me, I mean, it was one of those moments in time where, you know, 
okay, I'm backing myself here. This is what it feels like. It, this is, this is, you know, there wasn't a transition at that moment in time to oh a new career. It was like no, there, you know, you can call it a career, but it doesn't really pay any money. And um, it, it was, it was exhilarating in a way to to feel like there was no safety net. Um, had to figure this out on the run and, um, I'm glad I did. And I, and so in some ways that incident that happened, you know, that, you know, that, you know, being shot turned out to be this wonderful thing in my life. I would have gone overseas. I would have keep kept playing rugby. I don't know what my life would have been like. I would have, you know, do I ever come back and coach? Do I ever enter the business world? Do I ever, what, what happens? Do I, do I ever live in America again? And, uh, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased the way things worked out. What allows you to take that leap? What um, were the mental skills, the way that you saw the world to go from an investment banking, jo- banking job, which is obviously was spilling money if you're doing half decent at it into a career path that didn't have a bright financial future, but had a way to recalibrate you to who, to your true self. I was chasing this significance. You know, I, I just, I just, you know, I mean, at some point, you know, you, you know, you can buy that big BMW and it's pretty exciting one time. And then after that, it's like, well, that gets me from point A to point B. And it, it kind of, you know, when the guy comes in and you're getting your, your suits measured in the office, you know that, well, wow, this is pretty neat. And then you go, well, really, is it? And, uh, and you do a deal and you're like, okay, let's celebrate. And then you go, okay, well, what did we really do? And, uh, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, you know, those were, those were the, the, those were the goalposts. That's where the success was. So you chase those things. It's just that there wasn't any significance in it for me. Now, you know, I, I get to, I get to interact with, with young people at a very uh, vulnerable time in their life, an important time in their life. And, um, you know, I get to contribute to the education they're, they're, they're getting at the university. It all feels significant. It feels, it feels like if I did a bad job, I could make a hash of it. I mean, it feels dangerous in a way. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, and I have days when, you know, I'm probably not at my best and I go, my, I hope I didn't do any damage. Right. Because it, it's not as if just doing your best is okay. No, you've got to be successful at this. That's the requirement here. If you, if we really care about, you know, Cal rugby's um, purpose and its mission and if we care about the people um, that comprise the institution, then, you know, you got to get it right. There, there's no not getting it right. What gave you the confidence to be able to uh, make that switch? I, I think it had a lot to do with the coaches I had before. I, I really thought that I was pretty well grounded in the right stuff. I think I had good experiences from them. I had a lot to figure out. But I, I, you know, and also to be honest, the bar might be a little low. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of pretty ordinary coaches out there, you know, I mean, it's, it's a funny job, you know, it comes with a, a bit of authority and, you know, I mean, flip, flip on your TV at some point and you find some guy in a gym throwing basketball at guys heads, you know, and, and you go, Really? you know, a division one basketball coach and that, and that could actually happen. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people mailing it in. There's a lot of people that are that, you know, and there's some, there's some, 
wonderful coaches and peers. I'm, I'm in a group of peers at this point in my life. I, I call as friends a bunch of extraordinary coaches in, in a lot of different sports that um, I get a chance to learn from and share with. And, uh, but the bar, the bar felt a little low. It, I, I didn't, it didn't feel, I mean, it felt like it was going to be a big personal challenge. I didn't, I didn't think I wouldn't be able to do it, though. I thought I'd be able to be a good coach in time. And then for folks that are wanting to make a change in their life and they've got a pretty good steady Eddie gig and they've got the car that they want or it's good enough for them or whatever, like you can paint that scene. What nuggets or pearls of wisdom would you want to almost install or hope that they would get right to be able to make that leap? Well, I mean, the safe thing is to do nothing, right? I mean, that's, that might be the most dangerous, that might actually be the riskiest thing. It, it could be. I mean, it could be in time. I mean, everyone has different situations, right? But um, different responsibilities. I mean, you, you can't be irresponsible, right? I mean, that doesn't work. I mean, that's just being indulgent. Um, and there, there has to be like, I'm going to be able to pull this off. This, this isn't blindly optimistic. There, there is a plan. I can, I can do this. So I mean, it's it's got to it's got to be thoughtful, but um, geez, if 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 you can imagine it and if you can see it and and if if there's a there's a chance it could happen and it's something you really want, I would I would push them. <laughs> I'd push them right off the cliff. Is what I do. <laughs> okay, I love that. Okay, um, if there was a one question that you could ask somebody on the path of mastery. If you could sit across from that person, I'd, I'd like to know who that person is for you that naturally just came to mind, but what would be the question that you would ask them? When did they know they got there and, and, and are they there? I mean, that's, that's my, you know, that's my dilemma around it. I mean, I'm, I think I, we all know what it looks like, right? Ex- externally, it looks like expertise, doesn't it? Um, this great competency, subject matter expert. Uh, internally, it feels very different, though. I mean, to me, I mean, I I think I have good days where I, I feel I I might be that person, and then I have a lot of days where or moments in the day where I know I'm not that person. So for me, it feels like a real pursuit. <laughs> um, so the idea that somebody has arrived at that position, uh, I'd be interested to know what that arrival feels like and how do they know? And I mean, and, and, you know, obviously everyone continues to learn, but, but when did you get to the point where you were really an operator? I mean, you were really, you were really a guy that could, you know, land a plane in the Hudson if everything went pear shaped. I mean, when, when did that happen? How did you know, you know, that I, I, It'd be around. I'd be curious around that stuff. Mm, I love it. I, I, we have this idea. I think that Leonardo da Vinci, you know, knew he was a master, and everything that he was going to put his pen to or his ink brush to, that he was going to absolutely create a master of uh, a, a masterpiece. I, I, I don't. Most people that I've spoken to in these conversations around mast um, around mastery have said, "I don't know if I am." I mean, Jesus, like yeah. I've got days, like you said, days. It's pretty pretty darn good. And most of the days it feels like there's a civil war inside of me where I'm arguing with myself trying to figure out like, how do I do today better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. All right. Um, 
golly, I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about. What is the what is the one thing that keeps you up at night? Well, that you know, you know, something bad would happen to a player would be at the top of the list. You know, and over time, right? I mean, I've coached players that are no longer alive, right? I mean, you know, I've I've coached players that are hurt. I've you know, you know, guys that get damaged, you know, in one way or another. Um, and so that uh, is probably at the top of the list. And then, then the program, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm the custodian of something that's been going a long time. It, it, it stands for all the right stuff in sport. And I feel responsible to that. Um, so I feel responsible to make sure that it, 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 it continues on. You know, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, the campaign when I first started that we created was Cal Rugby Forever. And that, that meant a lot of things. It, it meant, it meant, you know, dedicated facilities that weren't there at the time. It, it meant building endowments that can forever fund the sport. It, it meant some things. Now, now I think, you know, the next hundred years, you know, I feel that responsibility um, for the next hundred years now, you know, I, I'm, I'm a short timer and all that. Right. But that'll keep you up at night, right. Worrying about all those people, you know, and it's not just the 60 that I coach right now, right. It's every one of them. Like I remember every one of their names and every one of their stories, every one of them. And, um, and, and they're all worth me worrying about. Right. And, uh, can I bring up two names? Sure. Robert Paler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Robert's battling right now. He had a spinal cord injury in May and, um, you know, he's battling to, um, to walk and, and to be functional. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm just now almost coming right. Um, I think, I hear that there's phases of, of grief and things, but I was kind of stuck in sorrow and anger for a long time here since May, to be honest. And, uh, you know, Robert's just such an inspiration, um, how hard he's working at this, um, how little self-pity he has. He's just kind of getting on with the next most important thing. And, uh, he, he's doing that on a daily basis. He gets up and answers that bell. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's just so much to, there's so much to, there's so many challenges there, you know, it's, oh man, you know, I mean, there's, there's very immediate challenges in his care and transportation and living and, um, and then it's, it's, it'll be ongoing. And now, now Robert's special, right? I mean, he'll come back and, He'll get his business degree. He's going to go on to some great things, but that, you know, it, it, there's still a lot of challenges there. And, you know, Robert hasn't, hasn't given up on getting more back, right? I mean, he's battling to, to get more use of his body back every day. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, um, I'll tell you, it, it, it really, it really puts in context what we're doing. I mean, we had to, we had to go play a, in a tournament, uh, after Robert's injury. I mean, it was, uh, it was it was surreal. None of us wanted to to go back on the training field, much less go into competition again. And we had to. We had to go into competition. And um, 
Um, and we got through it and we won and, and all of that. And, but, you know, it was like, wow. I mean, you know, at one point, you know, they put a microphone in your, in your face and say, Hey, you're going to try to win this for Robert, you know, and you just, you shake your head. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, this is a, this is this beautiful young kid and he's just trying to walk again. You know, I mean, we're, this, this is a, like a rugby game. I mean, it's got nothing to do with his challenges. It, 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 it makes a lot of what we're doing almost meaningless. I know it's not, I, I know it's not, I know it's important to the bigger picture of a lot of kids, but um, it puts it in context for sure. Hmm. So the, uh, the next name is Mark Bingham. Yeah. Can you tell that story? I can, I can. Um, you know, Mark was one of our players, uh, in the early nineties and he was a, he was a good rugby player for us. Um, you know, a tall rangy player. And, uh, we had seen, we had seen Mark and he'd come to a reunion and he looked great. You know, he's a big, tall, handsome kid, you know, and, uh, and, and he was, he had a, he had a, he had a firm and, you know, they had offices in New York and I know he's going back and forth between San Francisco and New York. And it was, it was good to catch up with him. And then of course, you know, you know, he died, um, on flight 93 and stormed the cockpit and, um, you know, made sure that plane wasn't going to be used as a weapon. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just such a, that day was so surreal for all of us and, and and how quickly it became personal. It it wasn't something that happened to the towers and to the Pentagon and to America and to, you know, it, it was, it was something that happened to us. So, you know, just proud of Mark and, um, you know, proud, proud of him. And, uh, then we've forever been, you know, walking the tightrope of trying to honor Mark, but, you know, not dying out on what he did. He's the hero. Uh, we aren't the heroes. He is. And so, you know, trying to make sure that no one thinks that we think that, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, some serious courage there. How do you think about your – thank you for sharing. Um, and it, it's not lost on me how intense it was for you to try to describe that. Um and then, so I don't want to be insensitive with this, but how do you think about your involvement in readying him on flight 93 on nine 11 um, and your impact as whether you're his coach or just a man that two men that knew each other, but you happen to be his coach for four or five years, I would imagine. Like how, how do you make sense of that story in your own head? You know, I haven't thought for one minute about any influence I might have had, and that's that's the that's the tightrope I'm going to continue to walk. I, I, I haven't. I, I do think it is interesting that there were other athletes on that airplane that that acted. Um, you know, there's a moment in time, right, where you know through cell phones, um, they know what's going on they know that this isn't going to end well. They know that other planes have been hijacked and, and, and it hasn't ended well. You know, the guts to make an informed decision at that point and not to be paralyzed. I, I think that's interesting um, in looking at it from an athletic standpoint that you can, you can get some information, even though it's horrible information, and you can say, 
you know, we need some action, you know, based on that. I mean, had, I think had the information been different, I think the act is different. You know, these are, you know, I mean, the information could have been that these guys aren't going to crash this airplane, right? So why would we get up and, and do anything that might crash the airplane, right? But that wasn't the information they got. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't the intel. Um, it was, it was time to act. And um, so may, maybe there's something there for sport. Maybe, maybe we're do, maybe sport does some of that, that where you, it teaches you how to make really difficult informed decisions. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to do it, man. It took some courage, right? And, and you know, who, who really knows there's some, you know, uh, I know Alice Hogan, Mark's, Mom has, has heard those flight transcripts, and um, it's it's awe inspiring. Mm, okay, all right. So, um, in in the journey of helping men become, and you're on the journey as well, becoming. Do you have a word or phrase that cuts to the center of what you understand most? Team, team. I mean, I'm I'm willing to stand with other experts and, and talk about team and, uh, what it, what it looks like. And, you know, what are, what are the, you know, what are the values of team and, um, what aren't they? And, uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably happiest in that. I think it's again, and we talked about it before. I think it's the biggest takeaway that we have. It's really our product. Um, if you will, and is there a word or a phrase that guides you? Do you have a philosophy that guides you? Um, I try to be authentic to who I am with a bit of discipline, right? Because I'm, I'm not the real article. I've got to convince myself to be a certain way a lot of times. You know, I can be too emotional. I can be too negative. I, I've got to use a lot of discipline to, to make sure that the impact I'm having is, is balanced. But honesty, you know, is a word that comes to mind. I mean, I, I think a lot of what we do is is is, is around honesty. We're not afraid to um, to say it as it is, and uh, you know, our players develop pretty thick skins. You know, I've I've I, I I've heard other coaches talk about how important it is to just have a quiet word with a guy. You know, and and I think we all appreciate. I, I mean, I would appreciate that if I'm you know I if somebody could just give me a quiet word about you know what I'm doing and how it could be better. But the fact is, is I can't get a team from point A to point B giving quiet words to sixty guys on a field that is you know seventy meters by one hundred and twenty meters. Right? It, we're spread out. I mean, I, it it can't happen. So there has to be this recognition that. We're going to be honest with each other and we're just going to say it. We're just going to say it as it is. And, uh, and you're going to have to be okay with that. Right. And it's going to, sometimes it's going to be shouted because everyone's got to hear it. I mean, if we, you know, fundamentally, I mean, this will be one of my early points that I'll make as the team assembles this fall is we have to learn from each other. Um, if you're waiting to make your mistakes and, for you to get coached individually on each one of your mistakes times 60, we're never going to get there. It's not going to happen. There's not enough time in the day. Um, there's, there's not enough events that'll happen that are learning um, your own personal learning experience. We're going to have to learn from each other. We're going to have to see, 
you know, we're going to have to aspire to where the love is going um, when guys are doing it right. And we're going to have to aspire to learn the lessons that other people learn so that, you know, his lesson can be your lesson. And you can learn that rep even if you're not in the middle of the grid, in the middle of the activity. Um, you, you know, so and that that's that's a challenge for players. I mean, you know, you're talking to him, not me. No, no we're talking to everyone right now. If we can multiply those lessons, now think about this for a second. If we can create a culture that's a little more thick-skinned, where, you know, obviously players can't be abused. Obviously, you know, you, you can't denigrate a player. But if we can have an environment where we can just be honest and talk about things and, and, and say it as we go and keep moving, and everyone can learn from that, think about the lessons that we can, we can multiply and boxcar together. And think, you know, in a month's time, Think about all the lessons that all the players can have as opposed to just their individual lessons. And then in two months time and three months time, and then think what we can be by the end of the season. It's, it's, it's dynamic. I love it. Uh, over the 27 years that you've been coaching or 30 years that you've been coaching, how do you keep yourself energized? Obviously you've got great passion. You care deeply. It's significant to you. How do you more mechanically, how do you wake up every morning and have the vigor and the passion and uh, all the zest and zeal to be able to do it over and over again to develop coaches, to develop athletes. How do you do this? Um, well, it, it changes, doesn't it? I mean, I've, I've never been in this situation is how I feel. I've never had these particular players. And, and sometimes I've had that player, but never as a junior before, never as a senior. You know, so the talent level's different. The strengths of this team will be different than the strengths of last year's team. You know, I'm anxious to know more. I'm anxious to build an approach to how we're going to play the game. Uh, you know, I'm anxious to, you know, see what contribution these players can make to who we are vis-a-vis um, -vis our culture. You know, it's it's kind of exciting. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like I've ever been in this particular place before because I haven't. You just described the applied art of Zen. <laughs> you just described mindfulness to its T, which is this moment is completely new. And so I need to, my body of work and life needs to condition my mind to be able to be here now, to be mm -hmm. fully present in this moment. And then when that moment is um, experienced, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And then so there's another one right, waiting right around the corner. And so that uh, is not easy to do. That's something that is significantly challenging because our busy mind wants to think about later, 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 later. Mm. And I had this question for you earlier, which was with all the winning, how do you appreciate now as opposed to um, thinking about the next win that you need to get or the next coaching session that you need to get to to get that just right? The Monday or the Sunday session if you played Saturdays. So how, how have you conditioned your mind to be present in the way that you just described? just being lost in the team. I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, you know, each season I, I, you know, you get fully emerged in the team and the stories of the individuals. And, um, I, I kind of lose track to a degree with <laughs> the outside world, which actually right now is, is a, is a blessing, you know, and, um, it, it's, it's, it's great to, you know, Everything that's important is right there, and um, and and I I I I find it comforting in, in that I don't have the answers yet, and that I, I have to rely on 
a new group of players. We have to rely on a new group of players and a, and a new form of leadership. I mean, one of the things in, in collegiate athletics is, I mean, we didn't lose a ton of guys, but like, you know, the, 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 the brain power of the team walked out the door. We just matriculated and they just graduated. I mean, some unbelievable players that, that, that were just such great operators and, 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 you know, the guys that really made sure Cal rugby stayed on the rails when no one was looking, the guys that really, really believe in what we're doing and we're committed to it and this embedded culture of players. And now they're gone just like that. Now there's others there, but they haven't been in the position they're going to be in this year. Right. And all of that's fascinating in a way, right. It's a, it's a, it's a big challenge to think that we can again, get there that, you know, that at some point this academic year, I'm going to hand the keys to a brand new Ferrari to a bunch of young guys. And they're I'm going to hope they don't put it in the ditch. And, <laughs> and, and the fact is, is they're probably, the perfect guys to have it. And but, that's but a good save. It, yeah, that's it, a good save. It's yeah. gone, man. It's you're, you're gonna you're gonna hand them the keys to the whole thing. So you've you've been in the trenches and guiding for the last thirty years. What would you hope an an entrepreneur or a seasoned president or a CEO of a company could glean from your insights in a sentence or two or a, a, a you know a thought or two yeah I, I think it's it's i have thought about this and it and it's around it's around culture and it's around scaling culture is what it really is about because that's the hardest thing i think for them is is you know I, I get to know every guy that joins my team right i mean i, I recruit him i mean i think there's a lot of chief executives and a lot of um, people in the corner office with the best business card, they don't even know who gets onboarded anymore, right? I mean, they're, they're relying on some corporate training documents and some, you know, and, and the idea that, you know, and I bet when they started that company, it was different. I bet they knew every person and they all believed in the same stuff and they knew what they were doing. But over time, in all businesses, that in all organizations, really, it becomes the hardest thing. I, I use the word embedded culture here, you know, but the idea of, of being able to embed and scale culture as your company grows. And, you know, I mean, we have one office <laughs> and, and I know everybody on the team. I mean, in some ways, people should look at me and say, well, I hope you can build culture in that situation. Try it in mine. And I think that's, that's interesting. That, that really does point to the challenge. And then do you have a practice that helps embed culture? Talk about it and, um, and test it. Um, I mean, I'm not afraid to, you know, have a young person come to the front of the room and say, right up on the board, you know, one of our values and explain it to us. I mean, at some point, it, it, these have to be more than just words. Because, I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? I mean, you know, we see, you know, words on the gym wall. <laughs> we, we see, you know, a section where you can, you know, hit about us and you can hear a XYZ company talk about their beliefs and their culture and uh, their values. And, and, and if you actually pulled one of them aside and you asked about it, they wouldn't even know anything about it. I mean, these things have to be real. I mean, I, I, this is how, I mean, our beliefs, our culture, we're going to process every transaction we have, human or organizational, through those values. I mean, it, it's it, they're to be used. <laughs> they're to be used to make these value-based decisions. And 
And that's how we're going to use them. We boxcar them all together and we use them as a system. And I mean, you say there's five, you mentioned that I, I had five core values. Well, I've never been able to be asked a question about what we do that I couldn't refer back to the influence of one of those values on the question. I mean, I don't think you need 50 things. Uh, I don't think, you know, I think you can get by with three or four or five or seven or 10, but they have to be complementary, not contradictory, and they have to function as a system. They, they have to be a touchstone to guide you. They're, they're just not these wooden sayings that end up somewhere. And I mean, so they really are beliefs. Mm, really cool. Okay. So the timing wasn't right in the earlier part of our conversation, but you mentioned big games and, and mm. right. And my experience in that model is that it's really hard for the people that are performing. So mm -hmm. big game versus another game. It's mm -hmm. just another game, but more people are watching. Mm -hmm. And so there's two ways that uh, folks talk about preparing athletes for the Olympics. It's the craziest event in the world, as opposed to it's the track doesn't change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the, the javelin shaft doesn't change mm -hmm. the, um, the soccer ball, the pitch for the, mm -hmm. the, the those elements don't change. There's still mm -hmm. X number of players on the field. Mm -hmm. So your job is to go do what you do. There just happens to be more people watching. So you go the other way. You, I, I, I'm more of a fan of that. There's no such thing as a big game. There's no such thing as a big play mm -hmm. or even a big moment. There's mm -hmm. just this moment. So our job is to prepare ourselves to be in this moment. Mm -hmm. And we don't need lots of people watching for it to be big. Mm -hmm. And then, But you go the other way. You say, and it's not right or wrong. I just mm -hmm. wanted to pull on that thread yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That it's the biggest moment, biggest game, biggest play, biggest whatever, whatever. Yeah, not because people are watching, because it matters more. How, and how he, come? Well, it, it's it's winner go home. It's single elimination. It's it's time for the top of the medal stand. It's um, not every not every competition leading up to that is the same. I, I, it seems disingenuous to me not to acknowledge that. Now, um, I don't want people so worried about that that they lock up and can't perform. Because at the end of the day, whether we're in a a comparably meaningless event to a high meaning event. Um, it's still about, you know, let's, 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 let's revisit the strategy, the tactics, you know, what we're taking away from the opposition, um, what it is we're going to exploit, when we're going to exploit it and how we're going to exploit it and where we might have to make an adjustment and let's get ready for that adjustment. I mean, I mean, I want, I want my teams to be lost in that, not in, to the importance of the event, but I don't think it does anyone any good to suggest that every event is the same because they're not. Mm. So the way I, the way I look at it is that there's no more important moment than this moment. And cause it's the only one we have and the next ones aren't guaranteed. And there's a fatigue in that's required by our minds to assume that the next moments are going to happen. There's a, a laziness, not mm -hmm. a fatigue, because if we're always having to think about the next moment, then, then we certainly would become more fatigued. So the idea for me is that this is the most important moment. So I can train myself to be in this moment because it's the only one I have. Mm -hmm. And so what's ever going to happen later mm -hmm. is, uh, let's say it's from this date, exactly two years from this date, from mm -hmm. this moment in time mm -hmm. that that too will be unique in and of itself. And that then, whether we're on the world stage for whatever, or mm -hmm. we're in another conversation that those are, have equal importance. So I think philosophically we come at it in a different way, but we mm -hmm. probably arrive 
much in the same place, which is your job is to be here now. That's right. That's right. But, but, but <laughs> I also want, I also want something special for them in the biggest moments that require something more special. What's, and, but what's more important than this moment? This is the most special moment. Now, just have and, and, unless mm -hmm. you're going to downgrade me and by saying that, Mike, this conversation, yeah. I'm, jo I'm joking. No. But no, we're talking in the context of building a team, though, is how I'm thinking about okay. this, right? And, and you know, there'd be a lot of times when I would mix up the lineup and the players are looking around going, this is a game that we're probably going to win. And this isn't probably the lineup that's going to play the biggest game of the year. And, you know, there, there'd be, a, there's just differences. I mean, you know, in all sports, there's, there's a time, okay, you're qualified for the playoffs and you're going to play another game in the NFL. Um, that's not the same. Players know it's not the same. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to build a philosophy around the moment, um, as much as, um, I'm trying to just acknowledge it to the point where we're trying to become this team that can play in that moment all year. That's what we're trying to become. And, and I, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that we've played our best rugby in the games that it's required us to be at our best against the best. And I think we've been working for it all season long and we've been hard on ourselves in some ways to get there. And then we've been able to go into that moment and and to be big game players when it really, when it really, really mattered. And now, mind you, I, I just don't think you can, you know, yell and scream in the locker room and say it's a big game and go out and get anything done. I mean, I, I do think it's about, you know, what have we been trained to do and let's go do it and, and, you know, mentally and physically, but no, I don't, I don't want to not acknowledge that the Olympics are different than a normal track and field event. Cool. Very cool. Your your idea on taking risks? Are you a risk taker or a rule follower? Um, informed risk. Yeah, I, I mean, I I I want to. I, I believe in a lot of notational analysis in my sport. I'm I'm uh, I, I kind of understand where the risk and reward are in 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 our game, and I think that there are some really dumb risks that you can take that might pay off, but I don't think you can, if you make a habit of that, it's going to work against you. And I, all, but I also think that there's some other risks that you can take that you should take every opportunity you can, because although it might not work out for you, sometimes, um, you're, you're going, you're going to be a, a better, a better competitor and a better, better, um, team by taking those risks. So, I think it's very strategic to our game and it's based on real notational analysis, but yes, I want to, in our sport, I want to offload the ball from the tackle in certain parts of the field, even though we might turn over some of those balls, but that's going to create a fractured defense and we're going to ring the bell more times than not. And there's some other uh, situations where um, people would say, People would say, uh, in your own half of the field, you should kick the ball. That's the safest thing. Yeah, I, I think there's more space to defend. I think that's that's a really good time to be adventurous with the ball and to run the ball. So I, I'm I'm against, I think, uh, conventional wisdom in some areas. Uh, I say no to some risk, and I really welcome others. Love it. Where's pressure come from? 
you know, self expectations. Um, I think the players feel that pressure. I think we all feel a certain pressure, uh, which is program pressure. I mean, we've won enough to where, you know, we can't have a good season. We're supposed to compete for a championship and, and we're supposed to win a championship that, that, that isn't going to go away. So we've just decided to make friends with it and welcome it and say, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a factor. And there's going to be some pressure from that and expectations that we're going to want to adhere to. But the guys themselves, I think on the team have, have a, have a really, really kind of um, advanced goals um, that are aggressive, you know, to the point where, you almost sometimes got to back them off that and say, this is more realistic right now this year. But I think there's a lot of pressure on all of us to, to want to, to want to be excellent. And uh, we're not always excellent. Coach Clark. Thank you. Oh, cheers, Mike. Thank yeah, you. This was awesome. Yeah. I'm going to turn the mic on you here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> this was fantastic. So where can people follow along and learn from you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not the greatest social media guy, but at Jack Clark Rugby, we'll, we'll get you to a few places. And then I would imagine that you've got a lot to teach the corporate world. How can they, how can folks connect with you that way yeah, through, so, through social media? Yeah, or? same way or through yeah. the university. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy that as well. I mean, you know, anyone trying to build a team, right? I mean, that those are, those are my people. You got a lot to teach. Okay. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for being part of this. And you can find uh, this interview and pearls of this conversation on Minutes on Mastery. It's a separate podcast. You can go to iTunes or whatever players. You can also find us on findingmastery.net. And um, you can find me on social at Michael Gervais is Twitter. And then at Finding Mastery is uh, for Instagram. So Coach Clark again, thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously, and the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com slash sponsors. And remember, no one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. 
So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.